All right, well, this week we continue our story of uh, looking at Joseph's life and the process of becoming, and one of those steps in becoming what God wants us to be, because that's really what it is. It's, you know, the Christian life is not a checklist of things to accomplish. It's who we become in the process of following Christ, and you can't really check that off a list other than you know when it happens, you start to do these things that represent you know, the, the presence of God in your life. And one of those steps that is absolutely essential is repentance. The fact that we can learn lessons that God puts in front of us, that we can learn where we've been wrong, we can learn to pursue what he wants us to that is right, The fact that we can change directions in life is one of the core pillars of Christianity. And so this week, we're going to look at the tests that Joseph put forward for his brothers to show whether or not they had repented, to show whether or not they had learned the lessons that they needed to learn in their lives. Were they trustworthy? You know, God's vision has now come to pass in, in this in their lives. They have come and they have bowed before Joseph. They didn't know they did it. Joseph knew who they were. They don't know who Joseph is. They don't know that God's word has already proven to be completely trustworthy, but it has happened. And so now it's about a process of restoration and redemption. But one of the steps necessary, absolutely essential, is repentance. If we are unwilling to turn away from the things of this world and towards the things of God, then we will never experience the blessings that God wants for us. And that includes eternal life. Repentance is essential. Now, when I say repentance, how many in here get a negative feeling inside? You know why? We don't like it. We don't like it at all. You know why? Because repentance in itself says we were wrong. And how many of us in here likes admitting that? Right? We don't just line up for like, okay, today where was I wrong? Let's admit it and let's move on. We don't, we don't like it. And the deeper the issue, the harder it is to admit. The greater the guilt many times, the harder it is to own it. And so when it comes to matters of salvation, when it comes to matters really dealing with a true faith in God, repentance is one of the biggest steps we will ever take because it is acknowledging, God, you were right, and I was wrong. And so I want us to talk about how repentance is essential because it is one of the chief pillars of the Christian faith, and it's one that isn't spoken about a whole lot today. Now, I agree, I think... You know, I have a saying, I've heard me say the pendulum always overcorrects. I really believe with us, whenever something's out of place and we go to correct it, we always overcorrect. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We always overcorrect. We go too far. And so, yes, there was a time in our culture that repentance and and the need to understand our sin, it got heavy-handed. It got heavy-handed, and suddenly preaching turned into, you're never going to be good enough. You're not ever going to do enough good. You're all miserable wretches who God hates, and you just need to repent. 
Anybody ever sat through one of those? I mean, you feel like you've gone about, you know, 15 rounds with Muhammad Ali at the end of it. You've just been beat down, and there's like no hope in it. And, and that, was, that was the case for a while, but I really believe now the pendulum has overcorrected to the point that now God's all just about wanting you to be happy and thrive and everything to be wonderful all the time. And, and there's no problem with you at all. And God just loves you just how you are. And you don't need to change one bit. Overcorrection. So let's pull this back to the middle. Where God intends it. And let's just state some truths. Yes, God loves you just where you are right now. God loves you where you are, but he loves you enough that he doesn't want you to stay where you're at right now. He wants all of us to repent, to turn away from that which is wrong, that which is evil, that which is death, that which takes life from us, that takes us away from God, he wants us to admit, one, it's a part of our lives. Two, we've got to turn away from it, and we've got to turn towards God so that we can become what he wants us to be. And without that, we aren't serving God. Okay? Now, John the Baptist came before Jesus, and he cleared the way for Jesus by saying what? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he gave them a baptism of repentance, telling everybody, you've got to turn away from dead works and you've got to start obeying God. Now, this is before Jesus was even on the scene. So repentance is what clears the way for grace. It's what clears the way for redemption. And without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we are doing a horrible disservice today by painting God as this person who has no problem with anything in our lives. You know what? God has a lot of problems with the things in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean he hates us. That means he wants to remove those things from our lives. He wants to draw us closer to him so that we can experience love and grace and forgiveness and redemption and salvation and eternal life. He wants us to experience those things, but we have to be willing to let go of that which has taken us away from him. And so, after Jesus came, of course, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, is raised again on the third day. He tells everybody, he tells his disciples, go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you until the very end of the age. So he taught a baptism of repentance. Then in Acts 3.19, Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The message throughout the Old Testament prophets was what? Repent, turn away. One of the key, and I mean key elements of any faith in God that is legitimate is a willingness to trust God above our own judgment. Because we can rationalize some things in our lives, right? 
How many of you can look back in your life and go, I can't believe I rationalized that to myself. I actually convinced myself that that was okay. And you look back on it, and it's like with this stunning clarity that you can look back, and you're like, oh, it's, it's so clear now that it wasn't okay. Why did I think it was then? Because we will deceive ourselves. And so we cannot move in two directions at once. Faith and worldliness are always in opposite directions. And the word repent literally means to turn and go the other direction. And so all of us, by nature, by nature, are rebellious to God, and we are walking one direction away from God. To repent is to admit that we're doing that, turn, and walk the other direction towards God. That is repentance. And it is necessary. And it's not something that we do just once in life. How many of you have wondered how many times you could actually repent in one day? Because you're like, man, I'm having a rough day here. You know, it's like the cop pulls you over and gives you a speeding ticket. And you get mad and peel out and leave and he pulls you over again. And he's like, I guess you didn't learn your lesson. See, this is what repentance is, is that over and over we admit that we are out of step with God because if we are getting along with the world, something is wrong. If the world has our heart, then God can't have our heart. If God has our heart, we will turn away from worldliness and sin and towards God. James 4, 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, which is strife, with the struggle with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so no action concerning God, no relationship with God, and no faith that claims God can be real without legitimate, observable repentance. And so we see in this story, Joseph, I bet y'all were starting to wonder, are we ever going to talk about Joseph? We see in this story, Joseph implements some tests to see if repentance is real in his brothers. The blessing is there. Joseph has already purposed in his heart that he is not going to get even with his brothers for what they did. Forgiveness is already available. Grace is already made available. Man, that sounds familiar, right? It's already available. It's all there. It's all dependent on whether or not the brothers are willing to show repentance as to what they will receive. And so, let's talk about the tests of repentance that Joseph has given them. First, remember, he sent them home with their... uh, with the, the grain, he, he kept Simeon back, kept him in jail, and he sent them all back, and he says, y'all don't come back here unless you bring Benjamin with you, which is their youngest brother. Now, Joseph knows they don't have enough grain to make it through the next five years of drought, of famine, okay? He knows they will be back. That's why he gives them this test to see if they will obey. Let's see if they will actually do this. So they do. They go home, but you know what? It takes a while. In in chapter 43, we're not going to read all of it just from time, but in chapter 43, Jacob tells him, he says, no, you're not going back. So he's content to just leave Simeon there in prison. Because he has such favoritism towards Benjamin that he's like, yeah, Simeon can stay there. I'm not letting you take Benjamin. And they just stay there until the food is gone. 
And he literally reaches a point that he's like, the, the, the brothers, everybody's like, hey, dad, we're going to starve to death if we don't go back and get some more food. And Jacob's like, no, <laughs> you're not going. And they're like, we're going to die. And he's like, okay. So then after some discussion, finally Judah, one of the sons, says, I will offer myself as a pledge to his safety. If we'd already gone and we hadn't had this discussion, we could have made two trips by now. Please, let's just take Benjamin and go. And Jacob just says, fine, if it has to be that way, then let's let it be that way. And so they show up with Benjamin back in Egypt. And we pick up in chapter 43, beginning in verse 26. And it says, when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present they had with them and bowed down to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Now listen to this. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. We have another moment where Joseph loses control of himself emotionally because he sees this brother, his only full brother that he has, their mother Rachel, whom Jacob loved so much. These are the two children that were born to her, and so this is his younger brother that he has not met. And he sees him, and he loses control. In verse 31, then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves. So we have three tables basically set up here. And he says, for, uh, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. So what he did was he sat the brothers in order of their birth. Now, if you're one of the brothers, what are you thinking right now? Man, this guy knows something. What does this guy know? Because he sat them down in their order, Reuben, and he goes on down the list with Benjamin at the last. And the brothers, it says, and the men looked at one another in amazement. And verse 34 is important. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. What's happening right here? This is a test. He is showing blatant favoritism to the youngest. Now, you remember, it was favoritism that got him sold into slavery. It was favoritism that made his brothers hate him because their dad loved him more than the others. And so he's seeing, he's putting it out there saying, let's see how they act when this favoritism is so blatant it can't be denied. Now, you've got to wonder, Benjamin is just there. Like, he doesn't know. And you've got to think, they just keep piling food up. You know, he's looking at it like, what? I, I can't eat all this. It's just piled up in front of him five times as much. And yet, there is a line here that is so important that we would just read over. And they drank and were merry with him. The brothers had no problem with it. They're enjoying the moment with him. 
They're enjoying the meal. They see this favoritism, and you know what? They're happy for them. They're happy that it happened. Their hearts have changed. Rather than simply being angry that this person is getting what I don't have, they look at it and say, this is really kind of cool. We're all eating here in front of the, the governor of Egypt, the second in command. We don't know what's going on here, but apparently he really likes our brother. But hey, this is an amazing thing. You see, when heart changes, our actions prove our repentance. We can't hide it. We can't hide it. Our actions prove that that our heart has changed, that one time we would have done one thing, at this point we're doing something else, and it comes naturally. We don't have to force it. The brothers are not having to force themselves to be cordial in this moment. They're not having to force themselves to, to show kindness to their brother. It's just who they are now. And so how we live, the actions we choose, reveal what we actually believe. If the brothers are faking their concern and acceptance of Benjamin, Joseph's tests are going to find it out. And here in this one, they don't seem to care that he's the favorite. They've passed one test. They've passed two tests. They actually brought him and came back, so they they showed that they were willing to do what was necessary. They've now passed the test of favoritism, and so there is a third test coming, but it's in this, these moments of truth, the moments of struggle and when the pressure is on, that the words of James 2.17 come to life. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, these brothers could claim they loved their youngest brother all they wanted, but if he gets favorite favored status, and he gets treated like this, and they start to get angry with him and despise him, it shows what do they really believe. It shows they believe something else. Faith without works is dead. Because ultimately, we will do what we believe in our hearts. We will. And that's not always a bad thing. It it shouldn't be. If we genuinely are a people who believe in grace and love and acceptance, then that should, in time, pour out. It's not that we're not going to have struggles with it along the way. Nobody's perfect, but we should bend towards that. We should gravitate towards the things of God, towards love, towards forgiveness, towards grace. And our actions will prove it. And so here, what we find is that God, in life, will send tests into our life, test of faith, to confirm, refine, or even expose the truth of our faith. Sometimes we may believe we believe something, but what we actually believe is something else. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to send a test of faith into your life to prove it. You don't really believe that, because if you did, you would act differently in this circumstance. You don't actually, that's just not in your heart yet. It's in your head. It's not in your heart. And God will send those tests to us. And he'll do it over and over. Yesterday's successful test experience does not guarantee that tomorrow's test you'll pass. Some days we may be on top of the world and we're feeling good and we could do everything. The next day it's like like I said, we just can't seem to repent enough in one day. 
That's what should keep us humble as we look towards God in all things. You see, we won't even know when we're going through the test. How many of you kind of realize that? You look back and you're like, oh man, God sent that test in my life and I failed. And I didn't even know I was being tested. The brothers have no idea they're being tested right now. Can you imagine those other brothers, how weird this feels for them? We just wanted grain. And now we're eating dinner in the governor's house. And they have no idea it's their brother that they sold into slavery because they hated him so much. They have no idea who this is. And he's messing with them. But it's also a wise test to see who have you become. It has been 22 years since I've seen you by this point. Who have you become? What are you doing with life? Notice, yes, is your father still alive? He's wanting to know. He's, I need to know this stuff. And so Joseph shows blatant favoritism to Benjamin in front of his brothers. The type of favoritism that nobody could miss. And he's waiting to see how they react. Do they talk amongst themselves? Remember, he's speaking Egyptian. They're speaking Hebrew. He doesn't know. They don't know that he can understand them. He's already listened to their conversation once and got more of the story of who stood up for him and who didn't. And so he's watching everything that they do. But they accepted it. They drank and were merry. And he's thinking, this is good. So... He then continues with the final test, and it is the test of love. It says, Then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, Follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? He's really getting in their head right here. Divination. He's, he's making them believe he's way more powerful than he is. You have done evil. You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever, this is a moment of stop talking. How many of you ever realized that? Like, I, I should have stopped right there. Because they say, on my place. Verse 9, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. So whoever has it can be killed, the rest of us will be your slaves. What was that I said about God bringing things back around again? He said, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. 
What does this reaction tell us? They tore their clothes. In ancient Hebrew custom, that is when you've gotten the worst of the worst possible news. It's so bad that you just tell the world by tearing your clothes that I am in utter and complete anguish of heart and I am mourning and I am in misery and my heart is broken and I've lost hope for the moment and and there is nothing good that can happen after this because this is how bad this situation is. And it says each and every one of the brothers tore their clothes. What an incredible change of heart these men have undergone. Just remember, what was it as they threw Joseph into the pit and he begged for his life and he begged, please let me out, and they wouldn't do it. And they just ate a meal with him screaming for his life and begging to be let out of the pit. And they just ate a meal callously and coldly, ignoring his screams. And now, when their youngest brother Benjamin is threatened, they tear their clothes. That is what repentance looks like. These are reactions you can't manufacture. These are reactions you can't fake. These are reactions that show who you are at the core. When life deals you something that you didn't expect, that you can't handle, that breaks your heart, who we are will come out in that moment. And what we see in this moment is that they loved their brother and their father because they know what this is going to do. So we continue the story. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? So divination, of course, is witchcraft, and he's saying, you know, I just I know what you did, and I saw it happen when really he set them up. So he is literally making them afraid for their lives right now that oh, we are dealing with somebody that is so powerful that we couldn't possibly deceive him when he set them up for this. And so it says, and Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. What guilt is he talking about? Selling Joseph into slavery. They know they didn't do this. And yet, what does Judah say? But I deserve everything that's happening. Wow. He doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't try to, there's no way, we didn't steal it, we didn't do it, we didn't do it. He sees the situation, and he sees the hand of God in it, and he says, you know what, we may not have stolen this cup this time, we don't know how it happened, but we did sell our brother into slavery, and that guilt has been with us forever, and today it caught up to us. You know, one of the chief characteristics of repentance is confession. A willingness to own I did it. Judah right here says, we did it. Our guilt has caught up to us. We deserve what happened. It says, what can we say? How do, God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. Both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. He just 
sold himself and his brothers into slavery to Joseph. Can you see the irony of what's happening right here? If you're Joseph, what are you thinking? The test isn't over, but you're feeling pretty good about this right now. You're thinking, okay, okay, they're saying all the right things. But Joseph wants to take it one step further. And he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. He has given them an out. If they will sell out their youngest brother, they can go free. Do you see the trap? All they got to do is sell them out. Just, hey, it's the young. If you don't like, if you've been faking up until now, now the human mind, you have enough reason to be able to say, I had no other choice. I had to do this. It's, it's the only way we were going to survive. Dad, we had to sell Benjamin into slavery because he, he stole this cup and there was nothing we could do. It was absolutely a hopeless cause. And the only way we could get food back to you was this. So really, you're alive now because Joseph, Benjamin is gone. But there was nothing we could do. See, he has allowed them an avenue to self-justify their hatred if they still have it. And I promise if they didn't love their brother, they would have taken it. This is a situation where there is literally nothing to do. And so Joseph puts Benjamin on the spot. He sets up a guilty verdict and tells the brothers Benjamin's going to stay as his own slave. And the brothers are faced with basically the same decision they faced with Joseph. Do we sell them into slavery or do we intervene? You see, we will know repentance is real in our heart when we are faced with decisions that are the same. When we're faced with situations that are the same and we make a different decision. Joseph has recreated the exact same situation. Favoritism youngest brother. We're going to find out if they hate him. He recreates all of it masterfully so that the brothers are put on display. And Judah's already said, our guilt's found out. Like they, we, we can't even hide this anymore. This is what we have done. But you know what's something interesting is that we learn from this is that repentance, true repentance leads to love. How many of you have ever put those two together? That when we genuinely repent, it leads us to genuine love. Real, true God love. You see, sometimes that's why we get a negative view of, of, of repentance because we really think of it more of just having to admit we're wrong and I don't want to be wrong and I don't like being wrong and nobody should have to be wrong and that's just all we're thinking about is right and wrong. When God talks of repentance, he talks about it as to entering into life turning away from death and entering into life. God is not keeping the eternal scorecard of like how much good. Oh, that one was good. That one was bad. Oh, too much bad. Now you got to repent. He's saying, no, there is 
there are two paths in life. One leads to death. One leads to life. And he says, "Take get away from the path of death. Turn away from it and turns towards God. And you will find love. And I could, you know, we could probably go through this room if we had real moments of honesty. And when we've had genuine repentant moments, yeah, it's gut-wrenching. It was hard. It broke us down. It was humiliating in a sense, something we had to do. But do we ever really regret it on the other side? No. You know why? Because relationships are restored. We are humbled and we reconnect with God. And there's a cleansing that seems to take place. And we're better for it. And so we have this final test. And that is what Joseph is testing is do they actually love their brother? Have they grown to the point they can actually love him? And so verse 18, remember Judah had said, require his life of me. I will put myself as a pledge for his life. Now, I need to point out, this is a foreshadow coming from Judah, the line of Judah, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, where he says, I will give my life for you. Hold their sin to my account, and I will die on the cross to pay the price. This is a foreshadow of that. It says, then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead. Hmm. I wonder how Joseph felt hearing that. His brother is dead. And he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will, not, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs and evil to Sheol, to the grave. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, Then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Here it is. Now, therefore... Please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Judah 
offers him self in place of Benjamin. Why is this significant? Because John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You can't fake this. This is a heart issue. This is a matter in which he has now said, his life is more important than mine, and I will sacrifice myself for his safety. Lessons learned. Lessons learned. Remember, Judah before was the one that was like, don't kill him. Just sell him into slavery. So Judah halfway intervened the first time and said, we shouldn't kill him because he's our brother, but we can get rid of him. This time, Judah says, it'll kill my father. It's too much. And, and you know inside, he's thinking, we've done so much damage already. He saw the pain that he caused his father. He saw the pain that it, it all went through, and he has reasoned within himself, never again. I will not do that again. I now understand true love. I understand. I know where I was wrong. And his life now proves it. He has repentance. You see, he has repented and in repenting has learned how to love others. Because his repentance involved getting over himself. His repentance involved not putting himself and his desires first, but the well-being of others first. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross. He put our needs before his own. He put our well-being before his own. The scripture says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We had a need. We needed forgiveness. We needed righteousness. Jesus had forgiveness and righteousness, but the price was his life on the cross, and he paid it for us. And so what we know in Scripture is that sin leads to death. Sin cannot ultimately lead to love because sin is contrary to God's nature. 1 John 4 eight says God is love, and so to sin is to walk away from love and reject love. If repentance, then, is, as we said earlier, is turning away from sin and towards God, then it follows that love would ultimately be the result of repentance. A love for God, a love for others. And that's why our actions will prove it. Judah loves his father, and he loves his brother, and he loves him enough that he says, I'll sacrifice my life. I will stay in Egypt and be your slave if you will just let him go. So I want to read again Acts 3.19 that we read earlier. Repent then and turn to God so that your sin may be wiped out. But there's an important part to this. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, repentance does, in fact, lead to love. And when we enter into that love with God, that's the refreshing. That's the blessing. That's when we experience the goodness of God. And too many people lead empty, powerless, spiritual lives because they're not willing to repent. And they keep asking, God, God, why won't you bless me? And he goes, let go of your sin. I can't bless you 
while you're holding on to darkness. Now, he can forgive us, yes, but if we are unwilling to, to, to let go, then there's just only so far we can enter into the light while we're still in darkness. And it literally is the picture of a person saying, I can't see, I can't see, and you've got your hand on the light switch, and God's like, turn the light on. Well, God, why don't you just turn it on for me? If you'll let go of what you got, you can reach the light and just turn it on. But you've got to let go. It's like you're, you're holding on to something in the dark, and the light switch is just out of reach. And to get to it, you've got to trust, and you've got to let go and take that step then you can get there. And too many people, I mean this, too many people are like, no, this is who I am. I'm not letting go. I won't do it. And they just stubbornly hold on to it. We see it throughout the Old Testament. They were called stiff-necked. They just would not turn. And God kept telling them, I want to bless you. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not. This is killing you. Let go of it. Just turn away. And he made promise over and over and over, do it, and I'll bless you. Do it. I promise it's, you're, you're going to like it. It's going to be worth it. Just turn loose. Just go. And that same call goes to all of us today. If we will put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, just simply let go and trust that God knows what he is doing, what does he say? Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We enter into life when we learn the lessons of repentance. We celebrate the goodness of God and what he has done for us because repentance then leads us into grace, forgiveness, and love. God has poured out all of his wrath, all of his judgment, all of his anger on Jesus at the cross. So repentance is not God being angry with us and saying, now I'm going to really get you and get even with you because you made me mad. He says, no, that account is settled. I settled that at the cross. Just simply enter into that life now. And that is the call. That is what the call is to repent, is to simply enter into life. Because those of you who know the story of Joseph, you know what comes next. It's what the sermon will be on next week as we wrap up this series. But you know, Joseph has seen enough. He sees their repentance is real, and he can't hold himself back anymore. And he just simply showers his family with love and acceptance and grace and forgiveness. And they're scared to death. And he's like, no, seriously, really, it's okay. It's okay. And they're like, are you sure? No, really, it's okay. <laughs> Go get your father. Come live here. You see, that is what God offers us. That's what eternal life is, is he says, no, really, the anger's over. It's all gone. Just simply come and live with me. And how he did that was through the cross, which is today what we will remember and celebrate with the Lord's Supper. You see, Grace, while offered freely to us, forgiveness, while offered freely to us by God, did not come for free. There was a price, and that price was the life 
of Jesus Christ who died on the cross. He died on a cross as a sacrifice, as a substitution for our, for our death. The wages of sin is death. And he paid that price for us by dying on the cross. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God was willing to pay that price to send his son to die on the cross in our place so that if we put our faith in him, we could be born again, which is what we witnessed today, the, the, the outward manifestation and act of what happens at salvation and baptism, that we become a new creation. God forgives us, and we are made new. And Jesus commanded his disciples to remember this fact, that it took his body and his blood to secure our salvation and right standing with God. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. So he met with his disciples the night before his crucifixion and he took the bread and he said, this bread is my body which shall be broken for you. And after he had taken the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant which shall be given for you. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. So today we remember the price of our salvation by eating together of the bread. and drinking together of the cup. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the grace. We thank you for the love, the second chances, the forgiveness that you have shown us. God, we thank you for the offer of new life that we have in Jesus Christ, God. We thank you for the example of Joseph and his brothers to be able to see what repentance truly is. And so, God, we just pray as we go today, Lord, we give you praise and thank you for witnessing a baptism today, and God, we thank you for the work that you are doing in that life. Lord, we pray you continue that work and, and work in our lives, draw us closer to you, reveal yourself to us, help us to know you better, God, show us grace where we fail and help us to learn our own lessons, to grow from them, to grow from our own errors, our own mistakes. Lord, lead us to a place where we have repentance in our own hearts, where we fail. God, that we wouldn't run from it, but we would embrace your love and your guidance. God, be with each person as we leave here today. God, use us to share your world your, your kingdom with those around us. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. You are dismissed.